We are in uh, the middle of a, of a sermon series in the book of Acts. We're coming up to the end, y'all. Coming up to the end. It's, it's, it's coming. Are y'all excited? I mean, lots of things, right? My goodness, we have tracked through the book of Acts and have seen just tremendous acts of the Holy Spirit. Tremendous acts of obedience and trust from disciples and apostles and, 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 and ministry that is coming alive in the time where it's just crazy to do this. It is unsafe to do this. And yet we see it time and time again through the book of Acts, how they respond to the Lord and how the Lord moves and directs and forbids them to go one place and go to the other. And now we're coming up here towards the end of Paul's journeys and things are about to get a little bit crazy here. And, uh, and it's a great just lesson for us all that um, following Jesus, obeying him, having him lead us wherever he goes and wherever he needs us to go, sometimes is not the easiest thing. It is not the uh, simplest thing. It's not the most comforting thing. As I thought about this message and what Paul is about to go through in Acts 21, I thought of a movie. The best baseball movie of all time. You heard me say it. I am not ashamed. What is the best baseball movie of all time? Some people would say it's Field of Dreams. No, nay. It is not Field of Dreams. Some people would say it's the comedy major league. That's inappropriate. Don't watch that in church. <laughs> no, the best movie, baseball movie of all time is A League of Their Own. Prove me wrong. <laughs> Prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. <laughs> but there's a great line, a great scene in A League of Their Own that really kind of is going to guide us today. Scriptures is going to guide us today, but this is going to help us put a little frame around a little bow on it, about when life gets hard. Let's hear what the coach has to say to one of his baseball players who is about to take off and, and lay down the game. Let's watch. Taking a little day trip? No. Um, Bob and I are driving home to Oregon. You know, I really thought you were a ball player. Well, you were wrong. Was I? Yeah. It is only a game, Jimmy. It's only a game, and, and I don't need this. I have Bob. I don't need this. I don't. I, I gave away five years at the end of my career to drinking. Five years. And now there isn't anything I wouldn't give to get back any one day of it. Well, we're different. Dottie, you want to go back home to Oregon and make a hundred babies? Great, I'm in no position to tell anyone how to live. But sneaking out like this, quitting, you regret it for the rest of your life. Baseball is what gets inside you. It's what lights you up. You can't deny that. It just got too hard. It's supposed to be hard. If it wasn't hard, everyone would do it. The hard is what makes it great. It's what gets inside of you, he says. It's what lights you up. In other words, it gives you purpose. You have a talent for this. This is what you dream of doing. This is what you've been called to do. And then he says, you know what? It's supposed to be hard because the hard is what makes it great. 
We avoid pain and difficult. Pastor Jen talked about that last message for us about how, how, much, how, how often all of us kind of avoid the, the pain. But I would say we also avoid the difficult because the difficult causes, causes us pain and the hardships can cause us pain. Following Jesus is, I'm sorry to tell everybody, to burst the bubble, it's supposed to be difficult. And that's not something that we and our, uh, our witness usually lead with. We don't lead with people when we're trying to introduce the love of Jesus to them that, by the way, after you accept Christ to be your Lord and Savior, it's probably going to be real difficult. It's going to be really, really hard go. Yeah, you know, like we don't, we don't do that. We don't lead with it. And yet it's very much the truth and it's very much what he promised his disciples. It's supposed to be hard. Do we ever view our relationship, those of you who know Christ right now, do you ever view it through that lens that expect the hardships, expect the difficulties? Well, you say in the Bible, Jesus says, take my burden. It's easy. My yoke is light. Yes, that's true. But that's because of the mental and heart shift that has happened in the person who's following Christ that fully realizes and recognizes that true freedom, true peace, true comfort comes in the everlasting life with Christ beyond where we are right now. Not in seeking our current life's pleasures and comforts and safety on this side of heaven. We all, we've talked about this several times, post the fall of man on this side of heaven, it's not going to be great. Listen to what God says to Adam after he finds him ashamed of what he has done. He says to Adam, well, guess what? Cursed now is the ground that you will walk. In pain you shall eat of it, thorns and thistles, the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground. These are the outcomes of the fall and what we endure until we get to Christ. But through Jesus, a new way and a new destination has come. Dust we, we will return, but we're not going to remain there. He has made and prepared a room for each and every one of us, a place for us with him, with his Father fully restored into new life. That's the mental shift that happens when you follow Christ. So that when these hardships happen, till he bids me home or till he comes again, we're going to follow him come what may. We need to imitate him come what may. We take up his causes. We take up our cross and we lose our sinful lives and embrace whatever hardship may happen so far as to gain the prize that Christ has for us, which is our inheritance with him forever and ever. Amen. It's supposed to be hard, everybody, but the hard is what makes us great. And it deepens our faith and our resolve in Christ, and it also, get this, forms and binds us together as brothers and sisters in Christ in a fellowship for one another. And this is what Paul comes to realize in this part of the story of Acts chapter 21, verses 1 through 17. Luke is bringing us to a climax now. Paul's missionary journeys are bringing him to a place, to Jerusalem. And now he has to defend his actions. He has to stand on what he has done and forsaking basically his pharisaical ways and taking up this new way, this way of Jesus and professing him to be the resurrection and the life and the source of our redemption and then giving that out to the Gentiles and telling Gentiles that you don't have to come under the law of Moses. You are free in your faith and salvation in Christ. Well, this has caused a little ripple, as you would understand, and now he has to go to Jerusalem and defend himself. And it's going to be hard and it's going to be difficult. As Jesus promised all his disciples, it's going to be unsafe. People are going to put you out of the synagogue and they will kill you and think they're doing a favor to God. 
and obeying the call of the Lord and following where he leads, Paul will continue to receive power and strength from the Holy Spirit and encouragement and hospitality from the fellowship. Let's dive in and see how this plays out. Acts chapter 21, verses 1 through 17, pages 1105 to 1106. So, if you have a Bible, I invite you to open it up to Acts 21. And there's Bibles behind the pews, so you can take those out and open up to those pages. Or you can flip up your phone and go to your favorite Bible app. Let's see where Paul is at in this journey. Now, with Pastor Jen, he's said goodbye to the church in Ephesus. It was a great moving goodbye. We, we talked about how strong the community is around him, how we need that. And now we see where he goes. Now he's on his way. Acts 21. And when he had parted from them and set sail, we came. I'll say, now Luke is adding the, the we back. So now Luke is picking up the narrative again. And it's not just Paul alone. There's a company that's going with him and Luke being one of them. We came by a straight course to Kaz and the next day to Rhodes and from there to uh, Patera. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. So he's going down these, these, these places. He's moving along. And when he had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul, do not go to Jerusalem. Underline that in your Bibles. That's, that's interesting. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with their wives and children, they accompanied us. And we were outside until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. And then we went on board the ship and we returned, and they returned home. Verse 7, when we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at uh, Ptolemus. And we were greeted uh, by the brothers there and stayed with them for one more day. The next day we departed and came to Caesarea and we entered the house of Philip. Philip's back. Yay. The evangelist who was one of the seven, one of the seven, uh, the newly formed deacons, right? And we stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied to us. And while we were staying there for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound it around his feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him to the hands of the Gentiles. Regular ray of sunshine, Agabus. Thanks. Verse 12, and when we heard this, we and the people, we urged Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. And Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went to, up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Syria went with us, bringing us to the house of Manasseh of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Several things happening here, okay? Remember, the point of the sermon today is that it's supposed to be hard. The hard is what makes us great. And so uh, Paul is getting into this boat and he's, he's traveling and he's, and he's visiting these different places. And some significant things have happened here. Because what awaits Paul in Jerusalem, he knows. He has received that from the word of the Lord. He has received that prophecy. Not only has he received that, but remember back to his calling in Acts 9, where Jesus says, I will show him, that's Paul, the amount of suffering he will do for my name's sake. This is a known thing for Paul. 
And as he goes into these cities, he encounters three different confirmations from the Holy Spirit. The people of Tyre have speak through the Spirit, it says. You have Philip's daughters prophesying, and you have Agabus coming with his little ray of sunshine prophecy of what's going to happen into Jerusalem. Jerusalem is angry at Paul. Not only the Jewish people of the synagogue, but also the Jewish Christians. His own folks that should be in the brotherhood and sisterhood of Christ with him. They are upset with him. Right now, it's not the greatest thing to be Jewish in this Roman world. They've been dispersed, and they are coming down with some great hardships. And what we are seeing now is a rise in Jewish nationalistic pride. They're, they're digging down deeper into what it means to be a good, faithful Jewish person, as anyone would when persecution is coming down on you. And so they're upset at Paul because what they think is that Paul, in his quest to make Jesus known to the Gentiles and say, you don't have to follow the law of Moses, to which, if you remember, the Jerusalem council said, that's good, green light, you're okay. But now they're suspecting that Jewish Christians are also doing the same thing and abandoning the law of Moses. And for that, that's bad news bears. They are upset at that, and they think Paul has really much overstepped what he is supposed to do. So what awaits him is not only the angry mob of just Jewish folks for him preaching a different story, but also Jewish Christians who think that he is leading people astray. This is not great. Hardships await. And he goes to these towns and he gets visited by these people who speak through the Holy Spirit. Now, I had you underline that because to me that was a head scratcher, speaking through the Holy Spirit. And because what they say to him is all the bad things that are going to happen and then they say, don't go. Now, why would the Holy Spirit say to Paul, go, and then he goes to these towns and through the Spirit, these people say, no, don't go. That seems to be at odds with what we know to be true about the Holy Spirit, who doesn't contradict with himself, right? But that's, that's, a, that's an easy reading. We have to dive a little bit deeper here of what's happening with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's role when we face hardships. You see, the role of the Holy Spirit when we face hardships is to continually teach and confirm to us the will of the Lord and to empower us. And so when Paul hears these things from these people, from Agabus, from Tyre, and probably from Philip's daughters who are prophesying, he's not hearing it as, thus says the Lord, you shall do this. What he is hearing is a confirmation of what he already knows to be true, that he is to go to Jerusalem, and that in Jerusalem he's probably going to face imprisonment and maybe even death. But this is the will of Christ for him, and this is how he is going to continue to make known the name of Jesus Christ. This is why Paul writes in other letters, to die is to gain. To live for Christ, to die to gain. Like, he is okay and he is prepared to die for this. Why? Because he has made the mental shift in knowing that this world on this side of heaven is full of hardships. What awaits me is the prize. Nothing is going to destroy me here. Nothing is going to end what it's going to be coming for me through Christ. And so, therefore, he's going to march on and march up to Jerusalem and stand on the things that he has done. 
because he's not ashamed of it. And he knows he has been confirmed and continually taught by the Holy Spirit, even through these actions, this is what you must do. Now, looking at this, I thought Paul does have some choices here as he hears, hears the groups of people talking to him. Now, his choices are he can listen to the counsel of the fellowship. We can listen to people say to us, you know what? I don't think this is what God is calling you to do. We need, it's a great lesson for us when, we, when we're trying to discern the call of God. We've got the Word of God to stand on, and we also have wise counsel. Both of those things are great, right? But what we have to do, and what Paul does, is he hears the wise counsel and he weighs it against the Word of God. Remember, Paul doesn't have a Bible here. It's not like he can go through to Acts or to, to Mark. or None of that's been written yet, Right? All he can stand on is what he's received through the visions of Christ, the Holy, the Holy Spirit in that way, and prophets and prophecies of what God is doing and bringing Gentiles and Jewish people together. And so this council, these friends are all saying, I don't think you should go. And he almost falters. You saw that, right? Why are you breaking my heart, he says to them? Why are you weeping? Why are you saying this to me? And instead of giving into that, he leans back in on the Word of God. He cannot be persuaded, it says, which means he's not putting any trust in what they are saying and leans in on the true Word of God who says, you have to go to Jerusalem and you're going to suffer for my name's sake. The Holy Spirit continually confirms the truth of the call of God when we are going through hardships. And it also empowers us as well because you see how strong his resolve is with his friends to look at his friends and say, no, no, I cannot be swayed. This is where I must go and follows the Lord where he's leading him to go. Unlike Gina Davis's character there in the League of the Rome, this is not just some game for him. Following Christ and living his truth is not something he can lay down. It's what lights him up it's what gets inside of him. It's what gives him purpose. And his foundation of his life is being revealed in the suffering that he is about to endure and the suffering that he's already endured. Trials in life are not meant to be easy walks in the park. Ask anyone in this room who has gone through a trial and a hardship, they will confirm what I just said. But following Jesus is not always about simple obedience either. We don't, don't look at this and be like, oh, I just simply have to obey. No, there's... This is just words on the page. Uh, you know, Elder Tom Harper talked about that. Like, these are, these are real people. And even though it's just the words on the page that says he cannot be persuaded and he continues on, know that that was a heavy-weighted decision. Following Christ is not always so simple. Sometimes it creates a separation from and conflict with loved ones. Sometimes it causes us to stand up and to speak out for a cause or a people group that isn't popular. Sometimes following Christ calls us to stand up and speak out for the oppressed, for the poor, for the injustice that people are enduring, even when it isn't politically right to do so or that people are saying is what you should do as a Christian. Sometimes following Christ goes counter to the culture and speaks against authority. And it becomes dangerous. And it becomes hard. And it could produce suffering. I was listening to Tim Keller, and Tim Keller said this, without suffering, you truly don't know what you are made of. 
without suffering, you truly don't know what you're made of. You don't realize what your foundations of life really are. Are my foundations of life truly based in following Christ wherever he calls? Or are they founded in seeking comfort and safety and not making any waves? I'm reminded of Martin Luther. Y'all remember Martin Luther? Yeah, everyone remembers Martin Luther. If you're a good reformist, you remember Martin Luther. Martin Luther is the one that nailed a 95th thesis to the Catholic Church and said, here are 95 things that you have wrong, right? And there is a, uh, a famous scene where he is pulled in, it's called the Diet of Worms, I believe, and he is pulled up, and he now stands before the known sovereign ruler of that time, a religious ruler, that the Pope can speak in, in, in the form of Christ and, and make rules that everyone has to follow. And now he has to stand in front of this known ruler and basically say, hey, what? Hey, guess what? Your theology is a little misguided and is wrong and you need to change it. They call him in to defend his actions. And the famous line is what? They want him to recant everything he said because what he has said is dangerous. It challenged the authority. What he said is coming from his own revelation of reading Romans 1 and what he saw there about the power of salvation contained in the gospel. They want him to recant that because it challenges his, their authority. And so he stands there, right? Here I stand, I can do no other. But the famous line that I want to zero in on is what he says, to go against conscience is neither right nor what? Safe. To go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here in this in suffering that is about to happen for Martin Luther, it would have been easy for him to be like, it's just a game. I'm going to lay it down. I'm going to pack up my car and leave. But he doesn't do that. Here I stand. I can do no other. He does not recant because to go against his conscience is neither right nor safe. He realizes that the impending death that could come, because they were ready to seize him and probably put him to death, was less dangerous than to go against the will of God. Let me say that again. The impending death that was to come was less dangerous than going against his conscience and the will of the Lord. How can we walk these roads and pass the void of the Spirit? The answer is we can't. And we won't, because our natural response when we're faced with pain and difficulty is to avoid it and to avoid the hardship and to throw in the towel. But for Paul, through and by the Holy Spirit, confirming and empowering him, there is a resolve that fully trusts and obeys in Christ. A full body, head, heart, and soul shift has occurred that even though through prison and death may await him, he knows that he can never be fully destroyed. And he knows the true Christ and the foundation of of his life. It's supposed to be hard, everyone, but it's the hard that makes us great. <clears throat> now, it's not just the Holy Spirit working through us as an individual. That's great. That's been promised. But God also works through the Holy Spirit, through the fellowship of people to help us through our hardships. Just think about Jesus. Jesus had 12 disciples, and then in that 12, he had three in his inner circle. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says, Lord, I'm facing this. If you can take this cup, take it from me. And he has his friends there to pray for him, to give him strength. We're supposed to have this community. Now, those friends at that time, they didn't do that. They fell asleep. Shame on the disciples. 
But the whole idea was you were supposed to have this fellowship that's helping and bolstering Jesus. Well, Paul, now on this side of the resurrection, has a fellowship who has seen that God's will can be done because they believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they don't fall asleep on Paul when he needs their prayers and their strength. No, what do they do? They come to the beach and they kneel down by him and they pray for him. When he comes into their towns, he's the persona non grata and they give him a place to stay and they give him provisions. And as they try to urge him not to go because they're giving in to their own human nature, don't want to have hardship, don't want you to die, they say don't go. Once they receive his resolve, they are reminded of the thing that binds them all together is their common belief in the truth that Jesus is the Christ. And what do they say to him? Once they see he can't be persuaded, then God's will be done. When Jesus was in the garden, who said, thy will be done? Was it his disciples helping him? No, Jesus said it. But now Paul, on this side of the resurrection, the community that is around him, united by that common faith, they are able to say, then God's will be done. Look around you in this room, everyone. Look around. Take a minute. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. We are supposed to be a community that is bound together in that common belief. I'm reading a book in, uh, for seminary that talks about that the Western church, the American church, has lost that a little bit. We've lost that common bond, that mission to go out and share Jesus to the lost, to go into places that don't make sense, that, that we would incur discomforts and maybe ridicule. We've lost that sense in our churches and our communities. We're more concerned about how strong the coffee is, how comfortable the pews are, than we are about making Jesus known. And if we can rally around that and remember that's the thing that binds us together, that allows us to love one another through the joys and through the hardships. It gives us strength to walk through those valleys and the shadow of death, to partner and stand next to Leah Kennedy, who lost her husband and then suffered a stroke, to stand next to Mr. Rudy Britz, who lost his beautiful wife just a month ago, to stand next to people who have suffered through divorce and family heartache and just to bind together with them and say, I'm here with you. I love you. And by the Holy Spirit, we're going to walk through this because it's supposed to be hard. But it's the hard that reveals the foundations of our life and it's the hard that makes us great. What's the challenge here? In America, not that I'm dogging it, we are blessed to be in this country and to have the freedoms that we have. But sometimes it has caused us as a church to be a little lazy. The freedom to allow people to worship whomever they want to worship should be the wind in our sails to go out with the truth and to guide people who are misguided in their faith to the truth of who Jesus Christ is so that they may know their salvation is hid in him. Will you join me in that mission? This is why we're going through Acts is to blow some wind in the sails of us as a church to be a bold and courageous witness even when it gets hard. Because as I said before, it's the hard that makes us great. Let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, I thank you again. <laughs> I thank you again that <laughs> for hardships, and that's hard to say. Well, I don't want hardships. 
I'm afraid of hardships. I'm afraid of how it may rattle my house, my family, this church. But I know, God, that this side of heaven is going to be full of that. And that your truth often flies against the grain and often challenges people's sense of authority and their success and their prominence. And it often puts us on the outskirts. Oh God, may we not just throw in the towel and say it's just a game, it's just a lifestyle. I can pick it up or lay it down whenever I want. But to truly take up the cross, your cross, to be reminded that our lives, our sinful lives have been nailed to that cross and a new life now reigns. One that has been blessed by you. One that clothes us in everything that you value so that we may be partakers in your inheritance and sharers of the glory for others to know who Jesus is. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. There's a famous psalm, Psalm 121, that says, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. It talks about looking towards the mountains. And sometimes we think about that as God's help's coming from the mountains, but no, that's not the point of the psalm. The point of the psalm is, my help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. My help comes from God in the midst of hardships who made that mountain and can make that mountain disappear and make that mountain reappear and make you do anything. But my help comes from Him. In your hardships, whatever they may be, big or small, may we never ever forget the ever presence of God's promised friend and counselor, the Holy Spirit, who walks with us and empowers us and confirms the truth of Jesus through those hardships and surrounds us and unites us with a community and fellowship of believers to walk with us in those journeys. Walk with someone this week. Share with them the good news of Jesus. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, all God's people said, Amen. Have a great weekend, everybody.